What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 29, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K I S T. And as always, here to break down the quarterbacks around the league coming out in the draft, especially with the Eagles. He's quarterback one in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Also, make sure you're listening in. Mark is officially with SB Nation now. If you didn't hear on the last Go show, he is with Pat's Pulpit. So check out his shows on there if you want to know your enemy. Mark, can you believe that there is a Josh McCown emergency podcast on this here website and you were not involved? How you doing, brother? I'm kind of hurt by that, to be honest, but it's <laughs> it's to be understanded. Look, I just got done. The family got done moving. I am settled into the new recorded studio. I got myself a basement office. I got a little Keurig. I got a refrigerator. It's like professional stuff here. You're rich. I'm basically rich here. And Mike, we got a, this is a big momentous occasion today. We have, I kid you not, our very first request from a gentle listener for a revisitation of a historical reference. This is tremendous. And it is a reminder to the gentle listeners, if you'd like to hear a historical reference discussed or covered on the show, we're more than happy to do that because it gives us a chance to not talk about Cody Kessler getting himself killed. And so (laughs) if you remember in this QB Sco show, episode 28, we talked about Pope Gregory and some of his gifts to the Visigoths. We had a gentle listener, tremendous follow, vinegar-based hot sauce, great screen name, at (laughs) vinegar-based... H-O, the number one, so vinegar-based ho, the number one, asked, (laughs) is the authenticity of Pope Gregory's gifts to the Visigoths questioned? I know this period was relatively close compared to today to the crucifixion, but did he really have access to these items? First of all, that's a fascinating question. I was generally excited to research this. I said, research this I did because I dug up a scholarly article Thanks to JSTOR, I got myself an account and everything called The Cult of Relics in the Letters and Dialogues of Pope Gregory the Great, a lexographical study. And we'll get to that in a moment. But first, a reminder. Remember, as I said in the QB Show episode 28, Pope Gregory gave the Visigoth Spanish king three gifts, including a key made from the chains of St. Peter, a crucifix containing with it and a fragment of the cross, together with a few hairs from the severed head of John the Baptist. And so, as vinegar-based hot sauce wonder, did he really have access to these items? And so, I read this piece, this this scholarly work from John McCullough, and there is a bit of debate with how Gregory handled holy relics. And it's a 40-page piece. I'm not going to go into it a ton, but I do want to highlight something. He highlighted, John McCullough did in this study, a letter from Gregory to the wife of Emperor Maurice, Constantina. She had asked for the head of St. Paul, basically Mm. saying, give us this head. And he was like, no. Listen, we don't disturb saints. We don't touch their bodies. Maybe we put cloth next to it and the cloth gets sanctified. He said, rather, they simply put a cloth in a box, which they had then placed next to the saint's body. The cloth thereby acquires sanctity and becomes suitable for use as a relic. 
So he basically tells her to go pound sand. Yeah. Now, that's interesting because remember, he gave the Visigoth king hair from the severed head of John the Baptist. Right. So it's important to put some context here. We talk about context a lot. Maurice and Gregory despised each other, okay? When Emperor Maurice issued an edict forbidden serving soldiers to desert on the grounds that they wished to enter monasteries. I'm reading now from the Popes by John Julius Norwich. Gregory denounced it violently as a further blow struck against the church. These two hated each other. So in all likelihood, Gregory did have access to the severed head, but just right. hated Constantina and her husband. So much so that when Maurice was driven from power by barbarians... Maurice and his five sons were all murdered. Constantina and their three daughters were dispatched to a nunnery. Such an atrocity should have led to the most violent condemnation of which Gregory was capable. However, he sent the emperor a message of fulsome congratulation. That's how much he hated them. So in all likelihood, to answer vinegar-based hot sauce's question, Gregory did have access to these. But as we've learned, he just hated Constantina and didn't want her to have the severed head of St. Paul. Have you had any vinegar-based hot sauce? I'm really stuck on this. Like, that's fascinating historical stuff. But like, me madre pique and there's a a Louisiana Tabasco out there. Like, there's there's some stuff out there. I haven't had it. Well, there's that huge battle. Now we're getting into barbecue Twitter. But between your (laughs) mustard-based barbecue sauces and hot sauces and your vinegar-based barbecues Mm. and hot sauces... And I like both, but I do prefer the vinegar based. I'm see, I I don't know, I don't know enough about hot sauce to know if I've I've had. Is a there such really a like. thing as like hot sauce Twitter? Like, there's gotta I, be, right? I mean, there's a Twitter for everything. I'll have to put a poll up. Vinegar or mustard? Now, there might be a distinction between barbecue sauces and hot sauces. Like, I'm not. There's probably right. is a mustard based hot sauce. There'd have to be. Do you count sriracha as hot sauce? I mean, I think it technically complies with the definition. <laughs> It's but like chili sauce. It's though. more like a chili sauce, but you yeah. know, chili pepper gets you into that realm. Look, I'm not a pepper guy. Like it's <laughs> it's not my realm. Now, Mark, I'm going to task you with transitioning this into the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> I'm not talking about the severed head of Josh McCown. Well, that was Cody Kessler last week, and we, and oh, we can get man. into that. But <laughs> but yeah, rough transition here. Look, this happens every time on the QB Sco Show, especially when we have literally one person ask for something. We will go out of our way. Yes. Yes, gentle listeners, send in your request. Mike and I love to do stuff like this. <laughs> exactly. So I'll, I'll put in the show notes as well what, what time you should skip to from now on. If you Seriously, just, just assume 10 minutes and go from there. All right. So I've had my take on it. BLG has given his take. Tomorrow, Stolness and Solak will have takes on it on different shows as well. But I'm Oprah giving out cars right now. Everybody gets a take. Mark, what is your take on the Josh McCown signing to the Philadelphia Eagles? 40-year-old comes here to uh, apparently to be the backup quarterback and they've been going after him for a while even before the Sudfeld injury so what's your take on that Mark it's important as we just did with the severed head of St. Paul and you know Pope Gregory's letter to Constantine to put some context around this and if you remember back to 2017 what I did I pulled up that season I was doing the QB scouting and grading for the NFL 1000 project I pulled up my spreadsheet where I had charted eight games of Josh McCown so I pulled that up dusted it off from the archives i.e. Google Drive, and started reminding myself this morning about how he looked that year. And if you remember that season, that was the Jets offense run by John Morton. 
And he had all of sort of football Twitter, film Twitter, a buzz with how he constructed that offense. It was very much a more modern blend of West Coast meets air raid concepts. They mm. ran a ton of mesh. They ran a ton of, you know, stab as our boy Ben Solak taught me that little, you know, smash fade type route. We've mm. got the smoke on the outside, the fade from number two. Gee, does that sound like something the Eagles like to do? And so as I was going through and looking at all my notes on this, like I'm looking at their week one game at Buffalo and you see, you know, smoke go sit on one. You see shallow cross. You see mesh. You see hoss. You see that stab concept. You see space and you see curl flat, slant flat stuff. This is all that sort of West Coast modernized with air raid elements type of offense that we're seeing teams like the Eagles run. And so when you look at how he was fairly effective, this was a career year for him under John Morton. It doesn't surprise me that the Eagles look at that and think, we should try to get this guy as our backup. And like you said, Mike, they've been trying for a while because this was his best season as a starter, best season in the NFL. He was very effective as far as his career goes, not effective as in, say, comparison to the rest of the NFL, but it was a good year for him in this kind of offense. And so he could step in right now. And while we don't want to get into, say, I mean, the, the physical skills, from the mental standpoint, this is an offense he could run and run well. Yeah. And that was the big thing for me coming into it was who could we realistically bring in right now that could learn the playbook and, and just assimilate himself within the time frame that we would need because we were working under the framework of Sudfeld's out. They may need somebody for week one, week two, week three, depending on what happens with Carson. Even if he has to come out for a series, we want a competent guy in there. Who can you get from outside of who you know the, the Eagles already had to come in and know the playbook in that amount of time? And I think McCown, really, when you look around at who was out there, McCown is one of the only guys. Like, I feel, and I said this the other day, that if Kellen Moore can be an offensive coordinator, I almost guarantee you Josh McCown could be an offensive coordinator. And Josh McCown can really do anything he wants in his post-life NFL career. Smart dude. All of his teammates absolutely love him, so he's a culture fit, too. He can be a great mentor, you know, for this year for Carson Wentz. And and a lot of that, a lot of times people say, oh, well, you know, he's going to learn under this guy or learn under that guy. Like, Brett Favre wasn't teaching Aaron Rodgers. That doesn't always happen with the veterans, but McCown seems like the type that will take Carson on and kind of be that mentor and be that that guy on the sideline with the screen up and they're going through things and he's going to give him valuable feedback and also you know share his experience of his 18 years in the league and I think that could be very valuable to Carson. Absolutely, that that's such a great point about. Josh McCown as a mentor. If you think back to week one last year, the Jets, they draft Sam Darnold and he starts from week one and Josh McCown really sort of took on that mentorship role. Darnold comes out his first game, his first throw is a pick six, but he bounces back. They win that game against Detroit. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a clip of outside the Jets locker room when Darnold came out to greet his family. And he got a huge hug from his dad, huge hug from his mom. And then his mom went right to Josh McCown to give him a hug. And that's emblematic of the relationship that these two had to the point where it became a meme. Like there was a quick clip of them sitting next to each other on the bench and they both brushed their hair simultaneously, same hand, same way. It was like it was synchronized hair brushing. Macau really did a tremendous job of taking him under his wing. And he's a very self-aware guy. He knows 
that A, he has a life beyond the field, whether it's on ESPN or coaching or whatever. And he knows that he's not going to be a starting quarterback unless somebody gets hurt at this point in his career. So his job is to pass on what he's learned. And he did a great job of that with Sam Darnold. We saw that in many different ways. And I think you're right, Mike. He's going to do the same for Carson Wentz. And that might have also been a reason why, outside of what he can do on the field schematically, that might have also been a reason why they wanted to get him onto this organization because they thought he's a guy that can be that extra voice. Because face it, you've played, I've played, The last thing you sometimes want to hear if you make a mistake on the field is from your coach. That might be the last person you want to see. But having a peer in some sense talk to you, sometimes you need that. Sometimes it's that extra voice that can be more relatable to you. It's not the coach mad at you. It's your teammate trying to help you. That can be a big thing too for a young quarterback. And that's a different dynamic with him and with Nate Sudfeld. And I'm kind of wondering like your take on McCown's play style as well as maybe it compares to a guy like Foles or, or a guy like Sudfeld. Because I, was, I went back and I watched his 2013 year because I wanted to see the connection between him and Alshon Jeffrey. And I mean, the guy really trusted Alshon. He's just throwing it up to him you could tell that there was a connection there so is McCown kind of like and we talked about this with Sudfeld coming into the preseason like it'll at least be fun because he will let it fly is McCown kind of the same way you know he he can be at times and that was one of the things that I liked about the offense under Morton because it was really sort of that you know west coast a lot of quick game stuff a lot of get the ball out of the hands but then they would scheme the vertical shots and McCown even when he's at his best he isn't like the strongest armed passer but at the same time, he's got that understanding of touch and he's got that understanding, that risk reward in the downfield passing game. And so, yeah, again, Alshon, another story, said that the first call he got when he was drafted was from Josh McCown. Like, you know, there's a relationship there and it's clear that he will have trust in him. So if Josh McCown sees the field and he sees Jeffrey get one-on-one coverage, he's probably going to go to him more likely than not. It, so there is that aspect at play as well. It's always good when you can have a situation where your backup quarterback has somebody that he's known for years and trusted for a long time. And that's what the Eagles will be getting, you know, if McCown sees the field with uh, Sean Jeffrey. Any last words on McCown before we uh, before we transition to some of the other quarterbacks that are going to be fighting for their lives and we preview and review some performances here in the preseason? Anything, anything on McCown? I don't want to leave any stone unturned. Yeah. What's interesting with him, and I'm looking back at my notes, like this is from week two of 2017 against Oakland, where he's fairly good at moving around in the pocket. You know, they had a second and three uh, where they ran a vertical concept, nine, eight, nine, where you've got go routes on each side of the field and then a post route in the middle of the field. And he has to move in the pocket. He gets pressure in his face. So he slides around and throws a running back curl for a check down to move the sticks on that second and three play. You know, there was another play where, you know, he shows good decision making. He's got a slant flat. He wants that concept initially, but he comes off of it due to pressure, moves, adjusts, and then finds his wide receiver in the scramble drill. And so he could do a good enough job of moving around in the pocket, creating against pressure. There are times when you see him in other instances in this game or throughout 2017 where he does get pressured and makes mistakes, but all Mm. quarterbacks do. But he's got that pocket presence and that ability to keep his eyes downfield just enough to create. And that might be key for this Eagles offense. You look at, you know, whether it's J-Jaw, whether it's D-Jax, guys that can sort of become targets downfield off of structure. You know, if he is forced into action, he's got the ability to keep those plays alive, keep his eyes downfield, avoid pressure, and create off script. 
So that's great stuff on Josh McCown. And maybe we will see him Thursday. Mark, do you see we do you think we see him Thursday with how quickly he's had to come in here? Or do you think this is going to be more of a mental reps week if you had to guess? Given the familiarity, I would believe he comes into this situation with in terms of knowing the concepts that they like to run. Like I said, that stab concept, it's it's littered through my notes from 2017. Yeah. So I mean he could run a series, he could run maybe two series or so. Yeah. And just get him a feel for it, get him a feel for some time with some of the other guys. I'd expect him to probably play a lot in week four, I'd say, and really sort of get him ready in case he needs to go. Um, But it wouldn't surprise me if he sees some action on Thursday. I think I saw someone tweet out like at his first practice, McCown comes up to the line and he starts changing the play. Like it's your first day, brother. Because he gets it, like he he's a he's he's basically a coach on the field. I mean, look, Wayne yeah. Rooney, he's going to Leeds to be a player manager for Leeds. Oh, is it Knotts County? It's not count Knotts County. Yeah. You know, Josh McCown's going to be basically doing that for the Philadelphia Eagles, kind of player coach. I love it. When we come back here on the QB Sco Show, we're going to be talking about some other preseason performances and what to look for in the upcoming game with the Baltimore Ravens. That's up next, and we'll be right back. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on the QB Sco Show episode 29 brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist, here with Mark Schofield, quarterback one in my heart. So we went through our normal historical references. We went through some Josh McCown reaction talk and kind of went in depth on that. Let's kind of take a look at somebody who's who's fighting for their life right now because the Eagles' Twitter account recently put up a video of Clayton Thorson's 38-yard touchdown pass to Greg Ward Jr., and they said in the tweet that he found his rhythm, quote-unquote. Uh, I thought it was a bold choice to pair really? those two together <laughs> because like, the throw was not great, if we're being honest with ourselves, but nonetheless, Thorson did look a better comparatively uh, you know when you compare it to his week one preseason game 16 of 26 for 175 one touchdown one interception 78.2 qb rating which isn't exactly lighting my butt on fire but again we also remember how abysmal he was in game one where he couldn't make a single nfl throw what did you think from thorson because i i think the the confidence thing for him in week one like he looked really shook he seemed a little more settled in the last game and hopefully that projects moving forward he did seem settled. I think you're exactly right about that, Mike. I think put it into context how he came into this game might be something worthwhile because he probably wasn't expecting to play when he did. You know, mm. Kessler gets knocked out early. And so maybe it's a situation where he's not sitting there thinking about, oh, I'm going to be going into the next into the game on this next series or so. Like, I got to start thinking about getting myself ready. He was just thrown into it. And so he didn't really yeah. have time to sort of worry about things. It was like, oh. Here I am. I am now on the field. This is now happening. The shotgun snap is at my knees. I have to try to catch it. I'm yeah. gonna struggle with that a little bit, but those those first three snaps were like a real roller coaster for him. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, it was a little bit up and down. He had a lot of false starts, fumbles a snap. 
But I, I think that that might have played a role in the sense that he wasn't sort of, you know, he's just thrown into the moment. So they don't really have time to think about it. You just have to go out there and do it. You know, the yeah. touchdown throw, like that was Ward. I mean, I'm not really looking at that and saying, man, you know, he read that. He, he did make the right read. And what was interesting about that was he had sort of overthrown, I think, earlier in the game, that similar concept. Um, he had actually underthrown on earlier in the game. And this was a similar concept, that same sort of stab concept where you're throwing that vertical route out of the slot. Underthrows it a bit better this time. So it's the right reads to, that he's making, but the mm. ball needs to get there. He underthrew Jay John, another vertical route, even though he had done a great job manipulating the free safety in the middle of the field with his eyes, looked him off, then threw it. So, I mean, you, you wonder about him getting those throws out there and that might be a timing thing more than anything else. He got baited nearly through a pick six. They ran that sort of Ohio concept with the vertical on the outside and the out route, and they ran two trap against him. And that's one of those where, look, it's tough to play quarterback, and those corners are trying to make you make mistakes. Mm. So that corner sank with the vertical and then trapped the out route from the slot receiver. That's one where you got to either make that quick adjustment and throw that vertical route or go somewhere else with it. He tries to throw the out and should have been a pick six. And look, hey, Nate Sudfeld had a pick on that exact same defense, that two trap well, against the Steelers last year. It's tough. And look, remember what we were talking about this weekend on the timeline. Our buddy Bryce Rosser did a piece about how some teams teach Cougar, which is basically the same thing where that corner is going to trap an out route from the slot receiver, but he's going to try to make the, the quarterback think he's going vertical with the boundary receiver's release. Yeah, he makes a man turn. He makes a man turn and <laughs> runs so with devious. his back to the QB, but he's looking at the slot receiver. And if he breaks yeah. out, he traps it then. Like, look, we're that's talking vicious. about the, that's vicious. We're, we're talking all so much uh, on these shows, Twitter, everywhere else about the offensive evolution. It's not like defensive coordinators like our buddy Coach Vass are just sitting there like, oh, well, this is what they're doing and we're just going to do yeah. what we do. They're coming up with tricks too. And so things like two trap cougar where you have that man turn, but you're doing the same thing, trapping that slot receiver under the out. It's hard to play the position, but these are the little things that sometimes decide whether you're good or great or sometimes decide whether you make a roster or don't. And so that was a play that I was really focused on because if that's a situation where he sees it again, like I'd love to see him face that same route concept, that same type of coverage and see how it reacts. Because if he then pulls it down and makes the whole shot, then you're cooking with gas because you see a Mm -hmm. guy that's like starting to learn and develop. But if he still misses that again, that's that's going to be something to watch. But it was a better performance. I think the interception, look, you throw that out the window. Like it was a deflection shot. Maybe he led the guy a little a step too much upfield on the bubble screen thing, but I'm not going to din him for that. I yeah. think getting thrown into the moment, reacting the way he did, kind of battling through some things. It was signs of improvement from Thorson. So I think that's a good thing to see. He's got such an uphill climb for him. And, and it's Especially funny. Especially now. Yeah, yeah. With McCown coming in, Sudfeld coming back. He's a fifth round pick, but like, I don't feel like they're going to feel like they owe him anything. They're going to put him on the practice squad. And yeah. I, I don't know if he gets picked up. Mark, you might have a better idea of how the final 53s and practice squads are going to look like for other teams. Like the Eagles poached Nate Sudfeld, but it, it doesn't feel like Thorson is going to be a guy that's going to be heavily coveted and poached like that. But then again, at the same time, we heard the reports, and we've talked about this before, that several teams had a third-round grade on Thorson. So maybe they're higher on him than than we think they might be. I mean, some teams might be. I mean, you, you wonder about how 
you know, look, as we get into weeks three and four of the preseason, you know, you might see some other injuries pop up. And so there might be opportunities. You wonder about, say, Indianapolis and the situation that's playing out with Andrew Luck. Do they look to add some depth? I mean, look, Jacoby Brissett, I think, is a very good backup quarterback. But behind them, they've got Philip Walker and Chad Kelly. <laughs> Thorson might be a, a benefit who to is, that roster. Well, who, who is Philip Walker? Is played it, at what, Temple. Madden? Oh, no, he played at Temple. Is that? Yeah, I, don't, I, I, disagree. I, I think he's your height. He's 5'11". <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have a big, you know, big grade on him when he was coming out. I mean, you look at a situation like Seattle. We saw Paxton Lynch take that shot. You know, JT Barrett and Geno Smith. Smith is still hurt. JT Barrett, I don't think is... I, I thought the Saints was a better spot for him than where he is right now in Seattle. Yeah. So, you know, there are some teams that, you know, right now might need some depth at the position as we, you know, see... More guys will probably get hurt, as we, I said. We go through weeks three and four, so there will be some other teams that are looking for help. I bet, but yeah. practice squad in Philly is probably his ceiling right now, given the numbers that they have and things like that. And uh, who knows? Maybe Cody Kessler is not going to come back. I haven't seen anything on how he's doing right now, but yeah, he does. Thorson does face an uphill battle to make this roster. Yeah, Kessler got himself freaking killed, man. And yeah. Look, yeah, Ke- Kessler is going to have himself an uphill climb after getting rocked like that in the preseason. Uh, look, man, I haven't seen enough from Kessler to make him th- make me feel like he's going to be a threat, especially now with McCown in town. So it's looking like it's going to be Wentz, McCown, and then Sudfeld. It's looking like McCown's going to be the solid number two, which, you know, some people said that Sudfeld was a, an elite quarterback prospect. It's not that that projection's not looking so fantastic now, but enough. Enough sub tweeting and shade on the on the QB Sco show here. So, uh, anything you're looking forward to with this Eagles Ravens game? Any any notes on um on what to look for for maybe like Lamar Jackson from an entertainment standpoint? Something that the general listeners can kind of hang on to, or you just like uh, you just like me when it when it gets to preseason, you're like just just get through it and be healthy. I mean, there's a deeper conversation to be had about preseason and what it's really worth in terms of just the product on the field, the media, and how we cover it. Like, look, we live dream jobs. I get it. I I know there are hundreds of people out there, the gentle listeners among them, who probably love to change places with me. I get it. But watching preseason- I was thinking the the other day, I'm like, you know, if if you love your job, you never work a day in your life. I don't love preseason, man. Right. Right. Yeah. I I want those people to watch preseason week one or like- the Hall of Fame game where it's like, you know, week zero. Yeah. Yeah. But no, at the, at the same time, when it comes to Lamar, you know, if you're a fan of football, if you're a fan of like quarterback play, what you want to watch with Lamar Jackson is the decision making and more importantly, the process and speed with which he's making these decisions. Because look, he's an electric talent. I, I liked him coming out. He has my QB4 out of those top five guys. I had him above Josh Allen, Rosen, Mayfield, Donald. That's a tremendous quarterback class, at least on paper right now. I, I think he's a better pocket passer than he's getting credit for. He does need to get faster, though, with his decisions. You look back at him last year, both that Chargers game, that Chiefs game, the way they ended, he was slow with his reads, didn't get the ball out, strip sack situations that end games and cost them chances to win games. And so he has to get faster with that mental process. And Now, we hear storylines coming out of camp, but he's erratic. The ball placement isn't there. You know, there's a continual fight on Twitter all the time with people talking about its accuracy or inaccuracy or whatever. And yeah. yes, the ball placement is off at times, but it comes down to this. He struggles throwing deep comeback routes. He struggles throwing deep out routes. Don't ask him to do those things. Like you, at some point you have to become self-aware. Like if you're bad at PUBG, 
If you like can't hit targets, get yourself a shotgun. It might help you in those close situations. This is what I did to make myself better. If you're Greg Roman, if you're the offensive staff in Baltimore, see what he does well. Run those types of concepts. Slants, quick game stuff. Those are things that he throws extremely well. Vertical stuff down the field, over the top. That's stuff that he does well. So it's going to be a balance of finding what he does best and building an offense around that. But this season... They're not building an offense for Joe Flacco. They're building an offense for Lamar Jackson. And so I trust in yeah. this offensive staff to put the system around him, you know, find out what he does well and let him do that. And so watch the speed, watch the structure of the plays. I'm excited to watch him this year. I think he's going to have a great year, but that's what I'd be watching for if you're going to watch this game for whatever reason and you want something to focus on when the Eagles, have, when the Ravens have the ball. Good stuff, Mark. And I am looking forward to watching Lamar. He's always he's always a fun watch, and I was a fan of his coming out. So we'll see if he makes those strides in an offense more catered to his strengths and Maybe we'll make some strides on this show and, and cater it to our strengths and we'll get better as the season goes along. I thought it was, it was, this was a good show, right? This was a good show. This okay. was, you remember, gentle listeners, if you have a request for a historical reference, particularly, <laughs> look, I, I tend to dominate these. Throw in some Greek stuff, some Roman stuff. I can sit back for the first 10 minutes and let Mike take over. You know, that wouldn't be bad either. I can give the vocal cords a little bit of a rest. But look, we, all, as our friend Dan Hatman says, get better every day. That's what we try to do. We, we've made it to 29. We're on the cusp of 30. I thought we'd have like 10 of these and we'd be like, no, we got to stop haters, this. The haters are furious, but that's going to They're probably it. watching. The for the QB, for the QB Sco Show, episode twenty nine. We thank you for listening, and we will catch you next week. BGN. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.